So today, we're continuing our sermon series. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're, on, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through a series called Meeting Jesus in Matthew. And one of the things we know from Scripture is we don't get to see like a physical description of Jesus. And so we get to know him by reading his words, by studying his words. So it's a great way to get to know Jesus. And today, we're talking about a kind of judgmental attitudes, judgmentalism. Uh, it should be an interesting message. Now, sometimes I have a judgmental attitude towards others, and I find that it always helps to get on Facebook. <laughs> because we know that when you get on Facebook, there's nothing you disagree with. Uh, everyone is just at peace with each other. It's only love and kindness towards one another. But this is really not the case because uh, you, can, you can find all sorts of things that people disagree with you with. Many years ago, I was on Facebook and a friend who I believe to be a Christian, so kind of believe the same things I believe, posted an article on Facebook, which I thought, well, if you're a Christian, can you really post an article like that because it seems to disagree with Scripture? Uh, and so in order to maintain peace and harmony, I posted on his wall about it. And he replied with today's text, well, doesn't the Bible say don't judge? Like, don't judge lest you be judged? I was like, hmm, it does indeed say that. And I had a response, and we went back and forth, and I read it today, and it kind of made me cringe a little bit. But, uh, but it, it acts as kind of an intro to this question of, uh, is it wrong to judge what others say? When someone says something, is it wrong to determine whether they, what they are saying is right or wrong, good or bad? In other words, is it sometimes fair to make discriminatory statements or discriminatory beliefs about different things. Well, Jesus actually lays out how to make uh, good judgments in Matthew chapter 7. He, he does warn us uh, not to judge others unfairly, but he also teaches us how to judge others fairly. So Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 6. I'm going to read through the first two verses uh, where Jesus is giving us a warning, and we should read it that way. It says, do not judge others, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the Bible really teaches us that judging others can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. So there are good ways to kind of make judgment statements and there are bad ways or unkind ways to make judgment statements. Now, the word judge, as you saw on the, the first picture, uh, uh, kind of the gavel, the word judge is really a legal term as you judge whether something is uh, innocent or if it is guilty. But it also carries this connotation of like the, 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 the punishment uh, that goes along with the verdict. So if you're guilty, well, you, you get punished. If you're, uh, if you're innocent, you get set free. And the Bible tells us that God is the perfect judge. So although we have a court system with many different types of judges, ultimately at the end of time there is only one judge who will judge everyone and everything. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12.14 says this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or bad. 
Now, this is kind of a scary verse because it says those things that I hide in my heart that no one can see, God will one time, at some point, God will judge those things. And he's the perfect judge because he can see every aspect of who we are down to the very core of our being. And the Bible also tells us, so if you read the last book of the Bible, Revelation, in Revelation uh, chapter 20, there's this, this picture of what will happen at the end of time, that there will be what is called the great white throne judgment, where God, where God will sit on his throne and judge people and, and kind of uh, sift people, those that go to be with Christ in heaven and those that go to hell. And I think what our passage today, Matthew 7, 1 through 2, is teaching us uh, is an interesting truth because it's saying a bad way to judge others is to pretend to sit on God's judgment seat. To pretend to have the same authority as God. To pretend to be God when you kind of look at others as if we can judge other people's hearts. We can't. The Bible tells us that it's not right to do this. And if you go into a courtroom, uh, it's interesting because a judge actually sits behind a raised bench uh, so they sit behind, uh, well, they sit behind a raised desk. It's called the bench. And little known fact, many of these uh, benches are actually bulletproof to protect the judges in case someone comes in and starts shooting. And we don't want to pretend to sit on that bench because there's only one who really deserves to sit on that bench, and it's God. God himself who gives kind of the perfect judgments. And I think it's interesting that our judicial system, our modern system, really reflects God's system because it's God who sits on the throne. It's God who determines what is right and what is wrong. Now, that's, that's the wrong way, pretending to be God. The, the right way is to, if you're to kind of compare it to that modern courtroom, is to come alongside someone as almost their lawyer and to say, hey, let's pay attention to the judge. Let's see what the judge has to say about what you believe or, or what you're doing. In other words, we help people see God's impending judgment. See, we don't pretend to be God, but we help people see God's judgment, to find it in the Scripture, to find it in God's Word. In other words, it's right to help people repent from their sins. It's right to help people put their faith in Jesus Christ because we're pointing them to the ultimate judge instead of pointing at ourselves and saying, I am the ultimate judge. And we see this in Scripture where it actually talks about uh, helping people repent. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, this is a, a book in the New Testament. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So Diana talked about the Holy Spirit. Those of us who have put our faith in Christ and have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're to rely on him as we go to others and, and help them uh, repent of their sins and turn away from the sin. Sin is any wrongdoing we do before God any time we disobey God. Now, uh, one of the reasons I know that not all judging is bad is because later in Matthew chapter 7, so the, the chapter that we're in, we actually see Jesus telling people to use good judgment uh, when looking at true or false prophets. So a true or false prophet is kind of like a good teacher or a bad teacher in the Bible. And Jesus is going to distinguish how to tell the difference between true and false prophets. And you're going to have to come back for that because we're going to discuss it, uh, I believe, next week. 
Now, later in the Gospel of Matthew, so we're in Matthew chapter 7, if you go to Matthew chapter 18, we also see another way to kind of judge others. And it's the, uh, it's the famous passage on reconciliation. When two people are in an argument, one should go to the other and say, here's what's happened. Uh, and if the person doesn't listen, they go and they get a, a friend to come along with them and, and kind of repeat the process. And see, that's a positive example going to someone uh, individually and, and telling them about uh, kind of how you've, they've hurt you. Now, notice that both Galatians chapter 6, the verse on the screen, and Matthew chapter 18, they speak of brothers and sisters. So ultimately, this passage that Jesus is talking about is to Christians. It's saying, Christians, as you hurt each other, as you mess up your relationships, so kindness as you show judgment and, 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 and work to produce reconciliation within kind of the church, within the community of those who profess to have faith in Jesus. So the Bible tells us that judging others can be good or bad, but there's also this, this idea as, as we present the gospel, as we talk about Jesus, that itself is a judgment. We're pointing to God as the judge, and we're also giving the good news of hope. So uh, there are these two different judgments, and God really, through Christ, Jesus himself warns us not to judge others unfairly. Notice the different uh, measuring devices uh, in verse 2. So, Well, there's only one device. It says a measure, but that can stand for a, a whole bunch of different uh, measuring devices. So uh, in the time of Jesus, uh, they didn't really have like the laser pointer where you could uh, automatically know to the exact like millimeter how long your distance is. Instead, they had reeds. They would uh, stick these reeds together and they'd have about a 10-foot pole that they could measure buildings, they could measure walls. It was kind of a, a hard way to do it, but it worked. There, there was also in the marketplace. So if you went to the marketplace and you said, well, I want to buy corn uh, or you know, meal or some other like flour, well, how much would you buy? And so they had measuring jars, uh, which is like a, a clay vase or something that they would pack uh, with the corn and then they would sell that to you. There's also measuring scales. So we're talking about judgment. We're talking about the justice system. So if you've ever seen the kind of the, the judgment scale, we're also referring to that. Now, Jesus is not pointing to a specific type of measure. He's, he's really just pointing to measures in, in general, maybe the, the legal one, if any of them. And he's saying, is your scale, is your measure accurate? Is the way that you're judging others true? Is it fair? Is it a weighted scale? Is it not quite long enough or is it too short? Do people always come up short in your standards? How do you measure others? Is the way we look at others and examine their lives fair? Is it true? Is it kind? Maybe you've heard of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus is really getting at the heart of that right here in Matthew chapter 7. You know, we do make value judgments about people all the time, but we don't really make it based on who they are. We, we make it based on the cars they drive or the clothes they wear or the jobs they work or the, the Facebook pictures, their vacation, where they went. That's how we kind of decide who people are. And according to the business world, it only takes seven seconds to make a positive first impression. And so the question is, do we judge people based on a short period of their lives, seven seconds? Do we 
Do we judge people based on their outward circumstances? Do we judge them unfairly on, on those things that matter more to us? Or do we judge them by God's standard? God loves people. Now, we should judge others the way that we would like God to judge us. Notice that this passage says, you know, don't judge others, uh, for in the, same way you will, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. So the question is, who's doing the judging? Well, it's God. God is the judge in this passage. And would you like God to judge you with like a super strict standard that, that you apply to other people? Or would you prefer that God judges you with grace and with kindness and love? And so, ultimately, we're encouraged to judge others with kindness because we want God to judge us that way. And you know what? The reality is, is that before God, we're all guilty. None of us are innocent. We're all sinners. We're all born broken. We're all born with selfishness and pride. And so, really, we need to come before God and say, God, I, I, I am guilty, but you forgive me. You, you declare me innocent through Jesus. And so now, I want to extend that same grace to other people as I interact with them. Because I want them, ultimately, to know you, God. So Jesus warns us to not judge others unfairly, but ultimately, Jesus encourages us to judge others graciously. He wants us to, to make decisions, to make discernments graciously, kindly. Now, when I was in middle school, so uh, our church had a youth group where all the kind of the middle schoolers and the high schoolers would get together. And when I was in that middle school youth group, my youth leader judged me because that's what youth leaders are for. And he judged me because one week we were playing sports, and as you all know, I'm very good at sports, and uh, I, was, I was like throwing the ball. We were playing indoor soccer, and I, I was just passing over all the short kids to like the really tall athletic kids at the other side of the gym because I figured they were most likely to score. And then when we went up to kind of the Bible study portion of the evening, uh, I knew that the teacher had good things to say, but I had better things to say. So I was also speaking uh, during our time of devotional. And the, my, my leader judged me. He called me out. He said, well, come talk to me afterwards, Jonathan. And then I was very silent. And he told me, he said, Jonathan, you're cocky. I don't remember really what else he said, but that, those are the words that have stuck out to me. See, I was more concerned with being cool and kind of the, the cool kid than I was being kind and gracious to others. But he didn't say this to me in like a mean way or an unkind way. He said it to me in a firm way, but also in a gracious way, speaking truth in a way that I needed to hear. And ultimately, he really did flavor it with grace because he came back later to me about a month later when I was like trying to act a little bit better, a little bit less cocky, and he said, you've actually really improved. And so that, that shows that he, not, he didn't just care about calling me out, he cared about restoring me, showing me kindness because that's what true judgment ultimately is about, showing grace. Jesus calls us to judge others graciously, but in order to do this, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at our own reflection. Verses 4 through 5 tell us this. Jesus calls us to examine ourselves honestly before we examine others. 3 through 5 say this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, 
let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We examine ourselves first, ultimately, because we're blind to our own faults. We're blind to our own sin. Uh, Now, the Greek word for I in this passage, so the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for I is ophthalmos, ophthalmos, which is like our our modern word for ophthalmologist. I don't even know if I said that right. Ophthalmologist. So this is an eye doctor, uh, someone who is not just an optometrist uh, who is good, um, but an optometrist. Ophthalmologist actually gets even more training uh, and more years of experience so that they can do uh, eye surgery, they can do like really academic high-level research, uh, and then they can do your basic eye care because they're essentially experts in their field. Now, sometimes we act like eye care experts when we point at other people's minor faults And not at our own, not our our own major faults. And when we do this, we kind of act like blind eye surgeons. Uh, Where we go and we say, I'm going to heal you, but I really can't see myself because I'm not willing to deal with my own issues. I like to call this Christian consulting. Uh, We're all kind of those consulting experts that can go into any situation and figure it out. But usually we're unwilling to kind of consult our own lives first. We're unwilling to deal with our own sins. Now, as Jesus used this really kind of entertaining image, the people in his day probably would have laughed. Now, Jesus was a carpenter. uh, And so I actually imagine that he probably on many occasions got specks of sawdust in his eye. And kind of the image he's painting here is someone's walking by and they have a beam in their eye, they have a log in their eye, maybe it's his brother James, and he comes along and says, Jesus, I'm going to help you get the speck out of your eye, but I have like this almost spear or this plank sticking out of my own. You can imagine the scene in the carpentry uh, kind of workshop of things getting knocked over, Jesus ducking and running away. Now this is just my own imagination. But Jesus was painting a funny picture on purpose. Because with humor, sometimes we can, we can work through our really tough issues. See, there's nothing more tough than our own sin. You know where our own sin hides? It hides in our blind spots. If you have a beam, so the type of beam or plank in this passage is referring to is really that that could go in the side of a ship. It could go in the side of a house. It could go in the roof. Uh, So like a thick, sturdy beam that you could walk across that could hold a man's weight. That's huge. It's interesting that that sin, that, that planks blind us and that sin ends up then hiding in our blind spots. So it's those areas of our life that we don't even realize that we value so much that are such a big part of our life that we can't even see the sin in that area. So, you know, what's a blind, what's your blind spot? Is it your reputation? Your reputation is so important to you, you can't see the pride and the way you treat others in that area. Is it your relationships? Maybe it's your family, your marriage, your, uh, your significant other. Where is the sin hiding in that? Because you value it, you're always there, you can't see it. Maybe it's your entertainment choices. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's your career 
All sorts of areas that matter most to us is where we tend to hide our sin. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too. And so the question is, how do we see our blind spots? If it's part of our biology not to see our own sin, then how do we deal with our sin? It's impossible on our own. In Luke chapter 13, so Luke is one of the other gospels in the Bible. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is traveling a road to Jericho. And he's going on this walk, and he walks by a blind man. And the blind man cries out to Jesus to get his attention. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and says, well, what do you want? And the man says, I want recovery of my sight. I want to see. And so Jesus heals him. And that's a very simple story of what you and I can do. We can pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am blind. I cannot see my own sins. I cannot see those areas in which I judge others more strictly than I examine myself. Would you open my eyes, Jesus? Would you recover my sight? We can all do this. We can all do this tonight, just praying. You know, maybe he'll reveal something to you. Maybe it'll be something big. Maybe it'll be something small. But it'll be something good. As we follow after Jesus, we'll be able to remove it. We examine ourselves first because we're blind to our own faults. But we also do it another way. We examine ourselves honestly, authentically, uh, genuinely, because we want to represent Jesus well. Now, Jesus says in our passage that those that prefer to deal with other people's small faults and not their own big faults are what he labels as hypocrites. Man, today is such a nice passage. A hypocrite is anyone who pretends, who acts, or who hides behind a mask. An actor. So uh, anyone who, set, who kind of puts on the face of, I'm all good, but on the inside, everything's not good. Now, usually, usually in the New Testament, Jesus refer, uses the term hypocrite to refer to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were uh, kind of the religious rulers, the religious people who claimed to have you know, God's plan worked out. They knew how to obey God in their own minds, uh, and they would oftentimes set up all these rules and regulations that people had to follow, and then they would not follow those rules and regulations themselves. And so Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You're making demands of the people that you won't live yourself. But our passage is different. Matthew chapter 7 is different because this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus is referring to brothers and sisters. He's referring to his own followers in this passage. He's calling his own disciples hypocrites if they live this way. See, Jesus doesn't want his followers to say that we're saved by grace, but then not extend that grace to others. Jesus wants his followers to be the most authentic, kind, loving, and gracious of people, and it not to be an act, for it not to be a show. We want to go above and beyond to show others the grace that we have received through Christ, even when we, want, when we have to tell others, people in our own family, and the Christian family, hard things. Because if we, if we can't love ourselves well, if we can't love within the church community well, how can we ever attempt to love those people in Westford, in Tingsboro, in Acton, in Carlisle, in Groton? We can't. 
Joseph Grimaldi, maybe some of you have heard of him. Uh, several hundred years ago, he is one of London's most famous clowns. So he was an actor. Uh, he practically invented modern clowning. He made people laugh all the time. He was just considered uh, a hilarious man. And he kind of invented like, or at least embellished on like slapstick humor, silly humor, funny faces, uh, kind of the, the, the white face paint and the red lips. Uh, he was really good at it. And he was so funny and so good that a doctor apparently once told a patient, a depressed and sad patient, to go and to see Grimaldi and laugh a little bit. But the patient said, I'm sorry, doctor, but with me that will not work. You see, I am Grimaldi. Now, I don't know how exact the quote is, how true the story is, but I do know if you look at Grimaldi's life, he was incredibly depressed. He was incredibly sad. And although he was able to make the whole world laugh, he was not happy himself. See, in order to appear kind and loving to those outside, grace really has to start on the inside. We want our outward acts to truly reflect the grace we've experienced inside this community. We don't want to put on a show for the outside world like we have it all together and that we're the best Christians ever. And it's not true to who we are. We want to first experience grace naturally so that we can go out and share it authentically. When people look at us, we don't want them to see two faces. We want them to see the face of Jesus Christ. When they look at Cornerstone, do they know that Cornerstone is all about Jesus? Because that's who we are. Jesus wants us to judge others graciously, and Jesus calls us to examine ourselves honestly before we examine others. Verse 6 is going to tell us this. Jesus advises us to share the truth thoughtfully. So Jesus is advising us to use discernment when we speak truth, when we, when we have a message to share. Now, sometimes it's a little confusing to see how verse 6 fits in verses 1 through 5, but it's really just the second half of two coins. In the first section, he's saying, well, uh, don't, don't run ahead uh, to judge people unfairly. And, this, and in verse 6, he's saying, well, when you do judge people, do so thoughtfully. So let me read verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It's a very interesting passage. Like I said, Jesus is advising us to use discernment when speaking truth. Now, it talks about giving to dogs what is sacred. Now, many of you have dogs. You love dogs. Your dog is in your home. And this doesn't seem so bad. You probably give your dog sacred things all the time, your leftover food. But the dogs in Jesus' time were not so cute. They were not so cuddly. They were not the lady in the tramp. They were not Clifford the red, big red dog. They were wild mongrels who uh, would eat garbage, that would eat dead bodies, uh, that would growl at you. So if you gave one of these dogs a nice steak, they would growl at you. If you gave them, uh, if you gave them rotten meat, they would growl at you. They were kind of like geese. They just kind of attack you no matter what. See, Jesus is saying some people, for whatever reason, when you give them the message, they don't want it. And so don't force the message upon them. He gives another kind of image. 
Likewise, if you gave a pearl to a pig, uh, it would snort its snout in disgust. That was a lot of alliteration. I'm sorry. Now, in the Jewish world, pigs are unclean. It talks about uh, cloven hooves in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And this means that, uh, you know, the Jewish people were not supposed to eat pigs, be around them, have them as pets, anything like that. And pigs, so pigs then were like wild. You can almost imagine like a boar with uh, kind of the tusks, could gore you, could maim you, serious barnyard animals. And see, Jesus is saying, don't give what is valuable, all this truth that you have inside of you to someone who just doesn't want to hear it. Be careful about how you present yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that you can never present truth to someone who needs to hear it, but I think Jesus here is also advising us to be careful, to speak truth at the right time, in the right location, under the right circumstances, with the right tone. In other words, if a brother has a problem with anger, don't go and confront him about it right after the pats lose. If a sister has trouble with gossip, don't send that message through the grapevine. Take the time to explain how gossip hurts. If a brother has, has a problem with pride, don't correct him in public. Take him aside and do so quietly. If a sister has a problem with jealousy, don't drive up in your brand new car to tell her about it. Jesus advises us to use discernment when speaking truth. Now, sometimes passages have a first layer of meaning. And then if you dive a little deeper and you kind of think about the passage in terms of, like, the whole Bible story, all the books of the Bible, we can learn some deeper truths, some more challenging truths. The key, I believe this is one of those passages that has uh, multiple layers. And the key word for figuring this out is the word pearl. See, Matthew, the author of the book of Matthew, only uses the pearl word twice. This is, I think, two, two passages, three times. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 through 46, Jesus says this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. See, Jesus himself compared the gospel, the kingdom of God, the good news about Jesus Christ, that he came to live a perfect life, die an innocent and bloody death, and then rise again from the grave. Jesus refers to God's kingdom, to Christ's kingdom, as a pearl of a pearl of great value that's worth giving everything up for. And so as we look at this passage, Jesus is also advising us that we need to be careful and thoughtful about when we share the gospel. Because there is nothing more beautiful or sacred or valuable than the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe Jesus says we go out from here and we look at people and we decide, oh man, that person's a pig, that person's a dog, and I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. I don't think that at all. But I do think he is saying in this passage, as we give the message of Jesus Christ and we discover hard-heartedness and that people don't want to hear about it, we don't force it on them. 
It's not up to us to decide who will listen. So when we've done our best and shared the good news of Jesus Christ, we give them to God. But Jesus does call us to share the gospel, the good news of Christ, graciously, honestly, and thoughtfully. We speak truth graciously, honestly, and thoughtfully because that is what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. See, Jesus came incredibly thoughtfully. Jesus came at a specific time in a specific place. And he chose 12 specific disciples, 12 followers who would then take the gospel message to the whole world. Jesus put thought into that. Honestly, Jesus always spoke the truth. There was no man more passionate about God's truth than Jesus Christ. He also came incredibly graciously. See, when we judge others ungraciously, when we speak truth dishonestly or unthoughtfully, we actually sin. We actually disobey God. It's not bad enough. We're already born in sin. We're already bound in sin. And so Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin, for our blind spots, for our planks of wood in our eyes. See, none of us can see our own sin And that's why Jesus had to come and to die for the beams of sin in our eyes. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, if you go back to the book of Ezra, you hear about a Persian ruler who declares what will happen to someone if you disobey his edict. So an edict is like a judgment, a ruling, a law. And this is what is written in Ezra 6, 11, if you disobey the ruler. It says, furthermore... I decree that if anyone defies this edict, a beam is to be pulled from their house and they are to be impaled upon it. And for this crime, their house is to be made a pile of rubble. That's pretty severe. You know what? Sin is rebellion against God, against our ruler. And before God, we all deserve this punishment. This grotesque, this awful punishment, because that's how evil, that's how bad sin is. But we have hope, because Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. Galatians 3.13 says this, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. Some translations say hung on a tree. See, Jesus paid for the plank in our eyes by hanging on the two planks we deserve to be on, the cross. The cross beam was pulled out and put in the ground so that he could pay the penalty for our sin, for our judgmental attitudes, for the ways that we don't speak truth, the ways that we don't speak love. That's what Jesus did for us. That's how much Jesus loves us. So when you're tempted to accuse a brother or sister in Christ, remember the plank in Jesus' back. The cure to judgmentalism is to remember that Jesus took our judgment. So if you are someone who struggles with a judgmental heart attitude, if you're a Christian who believes in Jesus and yet is always making value statements about other people, I encourage you, repent of that sin tonight. Bring it before Jesus and lay it down before the two planks and say, God, I can't see my own sin, 
but I want you to reveal it to me. And I know, I know that through Jesus Christ, I have been forgiven. That is the gospel. So you can go out of here, you can, you can stay for the potluck afterwards, and you can be completely renewed, completely happy, completely joyful, because Jesus has forgiven you of that sin. But if you do not yet know Jesus, I encourage you to repent and put your faith in Christ. Come before the planks, come before the cross, and lay yours down. Lay your sin down. You can do that by just saying, Jesus, before God, I'm sinful, I'm broken, and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I believe if I put my faith in you, I have eternal life and I am completely forgiven and whole. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And likewise, we speak truth. We speak the gospel graciously, honestly, and thoughtfully because that is what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for taking our judgment, for for climbing up on those two planks of wood and dying for the sin that we can't see in our own lives. Lord, if there are brothers and sisters who struggle with this, I am the first of them. Would you forgive us? And then would you help us just feel renewed, feel loved, because we are forgiven. But would you change our attitude, change our actions so that we no longer go forward with a judgmental heart attitude? We truly want to change, Jesus. And if there are those that do not yet know Jesus that are here tonight, Lord, would you have mercy on them? Would you open up their hearts? Would you you tear the scales off their eyes so that they can see the beauty of Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? And would they truly believe that John 3.16 message, that they might have eternal life through Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray, amen.